Justice Tech Pros here. Today I actually wanted to, uh, I'm going to revisit a uh, topic that I spoke about uh, on the federal level where it relates to discovery and how the defendant acquires the discovery in the defense team and how I believe and a lot of people would agree with me, especially defendants and defense team, that there's a lot of flaws in that process that affect someone's right and ability to defend a case or to, you know, to uh, understand what they're up against based on the delays and different things that are involved that prevent somebody from seeing exactly what they're facing because of stall ta- tactics. I mean, that's really what it is. But on a positive note with that, um, on the state level in New York, there was actually um, back in January, it went into effect January 1st, 2020, there was a discovery reform. So I'm going to get into that and just talk a little bit about that and revisit uh, some of the issues I spoke about on the federal level where it relates to discovery and how it all ties in and how this reform bill is really great, you know, on the state end. It's really phenomenal for defendants and it does even the playing field a lot greater, you know, in a much better way than it previously was prior to 2020. Uh, before I get into that, just um, one thing I wanted to announce on Thursday, I'll uh, be calling into the uh, Frank Morano show, which is uh, 77 WABC. Um, it's between 10 a.m. and noon Eastern Standard Time, and the station in New York is 107.1 FM. However, Frank always tweets the actual link, uh, because it's available online as well. So he usually, if you follow him at Frank Morano on Twitter, he usually always tweets out the link uh, to the show. And I'll, I'll also uh, tweet it out when it becomes available so people could just listen through the internet or through their phone as well. And I'm looking forward to that. As always, uh, Frank's a, a good guy. The show's very interesting, and uh, we always have a good chat every time I do call in, so... Be sure to tune in to that. should be entertaining. Uh, so basically, on this uh, discovery reform that hit New York, there, I don't want to read the entire thing to you because it'll just bore you, you know, if I'm just sitting here reading it. So I'll try to um, paraphrase a few things and just give you an idea of exactly what took place. And again, this went into effect on January 1st, 2020. And you could pull it up. You could just search Discovery Reform in New York. And it'll give you an idea of really how it should work. And with this reform, New York actually joined 46 other states that had adopted comparable open discovery laws. And when you you know, analyze it, it's really just something that makes sense. I mean, when somebody gets discovery, which is basically the evidence that the government or the state has against them, one would think it's only right to have that as soon as possible. But unfortunately, at the federal level, it doesn't work that way. You know, it's and I spoke about this in my past episode, you get uh, rolling discovery, which is pretty much in drips and drabs as you're preparing for trial. So you can't even understand what you're up against or what is you're going to be faced with at trial until sometimes only a few weeks right before trial where you get the uh, bulk of or the remainder of the discovery. 
So you have such a short time frame to really prepare for trial because you have to go through all the rounds of discovery. And then if you get something late in the game, you got to then then go through that and digest it. And a lot of these things you may require investigative uh, services. You know, you may want to hire an investigator or you may want to look into it. Your, your defense team themselves may want to look into something uh, with a magnifying glass, you know, and really try to unearth certain things that could help depending on what discovery comes in. And when you have such a short time frame, you know, I don't have to tell you, if you have a short time frame, it obviously puts you at a disadvantage. So a couple of things what I like is uh, they have, um, the New York is now requiring automatic discovery, which eliminates the need for the defense attorney to make a written, uh, written demands to obtain and review evidence. So prior, they would have to have written demands for that. So specifically, the prosecution must allow the defendants to discover, inspect, copy, photograph, and test all materials relating to the subject matter of the case. Whenever the prosecutor or someone under the prosecutor's direction is in possession, custody, or control of such items. Uh, you know, and I'll read a little more. It says the statute also creates a presumption of openness, directing judges to favor disclosing information when applying the statute to specific rulings in pending cases. So, again, you know, just all these things really make a, a huge difference in somebody's ability to defend their case. And one of the things that actually pop popped out at me is uh, excuse the rustling of the papers, but I'm just going to go through certain things. I like this where it says defendants will no longer be required to consider a plea offer without knowledge of the evidence against them. If the prosecution makes an offer during the pre-indictment phase of a felony case, prosecutors are required to turn over discoverable materials at least three calendar days prior to the expiration of the offer. I mean, that right there is huge. And when you think about it prior... That means, you know, you have to make plea deals without even knowing what evidence they have against you. Uh, think about how crazy that sounds. You're basically making a plea on the blind. You don't know what you're up against. You don't know what you're, you're facing. You don't know what evidence they have. And they're telling you, all right, either face 25 years of trial or take a plea deal for, you know, three years. But we're not going to tell you the evidence we have against you. And that's why, you know, th there's so many pleas and that's why the conviction rate is so high when you factor in all these, all these items. Somebody's being faced with big time or being for, offered, um, you know, three years or whatever. I'm just throwing low numbers out there, but being offered much more favorable terms. You know, people tend to think about that because as we know, trial doesn't always go, go the way it should. If somebody's innocent, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the way it's going to play out at trial. You know, we know that all too well. So I, I think that change is, is, a, is a very important change to especially help a defendant know what they're up against before they start making decisions or even entertaining pleas. And the new statue, uh, it, it, um, it has 21 different kinds of materials that prosecutors must turn over to the defense. And several of the items on the new reform were not previously listed in the old statute. Most notably, the prosecution will now be required to turn over the following. Names and adequate contact information for any person who has relevant information regarding the case. Name and work affiliation of all police 
and other law enforcement personnel who have evidence or relevant information regarding the case. Statements by any person when relevant any person with relevant information, regardless of whether the person will be called as a witness at trial and including witnesses to be called in any pretrial hearing. Electronic recordings, including 911 calls, which is huge. I mean, you want, I mean, the electronic recording ones is really good because those take a lot of time to go through. So you want those as soon as possible. So, so being that, you know, they're pushing that up, uh, and including that is the immediate items that have to be turned over right away. I think that's a huge win. You know, and it says, regardless of whether the prosecutor intends to use them at trial, with the limitation if the electronic recording exceeds 10 hours. So I guess they have a little footnote there if the electronic recording exceeds 10 hours. But it sounds like that's an individual recording. You know, not all of them combined. So if an individual recording exceeds 10 hours... There's a limitation on that, which, you know, I'd want to look into. Uh, materials favorable to the defense, which is, you know, obviously uh, also known as, I shouldn't say obviously because some people aren't familiar with that, but it's also known as Brady material. Um, and that's, uh, they define it as a discovery obligation that exists under current law is now specifically listed in the new statute. These materials include information that exculpates the defendant, mitigates the defendant's culpability, supports a defense, impeaches a prosecution witness, or raises questions as to the identification of the defendant as a perpetrator. Brady information must be shared expeditiously upon receipt, if obtained sooner than the 15-day timeline requirement referenced below. Another item is rewards, promises, or inducements offered to any prosecution witness. Search warrants and all related material, including the warrant application, supporting affidavit, police inventory, all the property seized, transcript of all testimony, or other oral communication. Electronically created or stored information if obtained from the defendant or a source other than the defendant, but which is related to the subject matter of the case. Now, there's 21 different types of uh, uh, material, but these are the ones that were... um, different that weren't on the old statute that are added now to this one that are uh, to me they're very important and I mean this is a phenomenal change this really is and people should be aware of it defendants should be aware of it on the state level like I said this is similar to 46 other states so it's very important to be familiar with these things to make certain you know that you're receiving and your defense team is receiving what they're entitled to and this really shows a step in the right direction you know, because on a federal level, that's the next reform. And I know there are there are organizations, I believe the NACDL is working on a uh, discovery reform on the federal level. And that's really needed because these things should apply. It doesn't make any sense at all that they don't, but they should apply to the federal level as well. After all, you're just looking for a fair trial. And these are just tools that help you to gain that. So there's really no rhyme or reason or legitimate excuse why this shouldn't be implemented immediately and why it hasn't been for all this time. I mean, it's it's ridiculous when you think about it, that you have to fight and you have to get reform just to have things balanced out a little bit. And, you know, I always bring attention to the scales of justice and how they try to say how they're balanced or they'll show an image of them being balanced. And that's not the case. This is a prime example of that. 
there had to actually be a reform on this to get it more balanced because it was so one-sided. What I really like too on this is the time frame. You know, uh, as I was, as I noted to earlier, is you know you need as much time as possible. Your case starts the second you get indicted, so you really want to use the time wisely and to make sure you're prepared. And what I like about this is uh, one of the when it lays out the time frame, it says the new time frame for disclosure generally requires the prosecution to turn over all discoverable materials as soon as practicable, but no later than 15 days after arraignment. An additional 30 days is permitted if the materials are voluminous or if after making earnest efforts, the materials are not the prosecution's actual possession and the prosecutor is not reasonably able to obtain the materials. In effect, the prosecutor has 45 days to turn over initial discovery with a few exceptions for specific kinds of discovery. So, I mean, you know, either way, that's that's a phenomenal timeline as far as helping the defense team. You have, you know, no later than 15 days after arraignment, and then if they try to say it's too extensive, you know, they have 30 days, but the max, the max is 45 days. You know, I guess they could put in to request for longer, but the, the you know, for special kinds of discovery or for specific exceptions, but the max is 45 days. And, it, and after uh, 15 days, you, pretty much by 15 days, you should have it all. Unless, like I said, you know, there, um, there's exceptions to it where based on volume. But just the fact that you should get everything within 15 days is, is a huge win. You know, and, and, you know, it goes on. It goes on to outline all the different uh, changes. And there's a lot of changes. And that shows alone the faults that exist in the system and if 46 states had to adopt this or something comparable it goes to show that this was out of whack in all of these states and there's still you know there's still uh four states left that need to get on board and on the federal level is the most important i mean i don't know how that hasn't hasn't happened already and hopefully that'll also take place because it all just boils down to you just want a level playing field. You know, you don't want it shifted once to one side or the other. You just want it to be level and fair and same rules across the board. But I got to say, I know normally, you know, I'm trying to point out the faults and, and the things whereas the, the law falls short uh, to benefiting the defendant and where it's an uphill battle on, on this on this episode, I have to say, you know, this is a positive thing. And again, this came out at the beginning of this year. Maybe the only thing positive to come out of 2020. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is something that's definitely a step in the right direction. And it will help defendants and it'll help people fight their case. And, and I also believe, too, you know, items like this will prevent uh, as best as possible anyway, or at least better than currently now, you know, false indictments or indictments that aren't strong because you have to make sure you have all your ducks in a row before you indict somebody. You know, one thing that I, I said that is so vital on the state level and, and should be, again, on the federal level is the right to get your grand jury minutes. You know, on the state level, you're entitled to those minutes and you get that as part of as part of the discovery, as part of the items you get. And on the federal level, you don't get the grand jury minutes, which... I can't understand that for the life of me. Again, it makes zero sense. But just critical thinking here, it, it really 
it really makes you start to second guess why so many times you will see a case get superseded by the federal government. You know, and it makes you think about that because if they have it on the state, you know, if they have an indictment on the state level where they have to meet somewhat of a higher threshold because now they have to accommodate all of these discovery demands with this new reform bill. But now if the feds step in and they supersede that indictment, they don't have to have a bar. Their bar is not set that high. You know, they don't have to produce the grand jury minutes. They don't have all of these guidelines where it relates to turning over discovery. You know, they could force a lot of these pleas because the defendant does not know and is not aware of the evidence against them, is not aware of the discovery against them. So, you know, it's a different tactic, and it makes you, it makes you think that possibly a lot of the times when we do see uh, a superseding indictment on the federal level where they'll swoop in and take over a state case, it makes you think, well, what's behind that? Why are they doing that? And to me, anyway, you know, maybe I became jaded somewhat, but I, I tend to believe it does have to do with this threshold because... The federal government does not have to adhere to such strict guidelines where it relates to discovery and it relates to the grand jury. They don't have to worry about turning over the grand jury minutes. So if things that were said in the grand jury were inaccurate and untrue, there's no way of of checking that. There's no checks and balances system in place. You know, the defense won't get that. You could put in motions to get it. But as I know firsthand when I seen defense team do that, it's very hard to get those minutes, and any and any defense, federal defense attorney will tell you it's very rare that they are given the grand jury minutes. But on the state level, you get those, so you're able to automatically compare any inconsistencies. You know, you could compare whatever was said at the grand jury level. Does it match what is represented in the discovery and in the evidence? And if it doesn't, you know, that's where the motions start to fly. And you could point that those inconsistencies out, and you could point the falsehoods out and the inaccuracies out. On the federal level, you have to almost guess. You know, you have to try to put the puzzle pieces together about what took place in the grand jury to get this indictment. Try to match it up with the discovery, and you know, it's really just a guess because you can't guarantee what was said in the grand jury because you don't have those minutes to compare. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, judges don't like to turn those over. They don't like to require that to be turned over, which another item that doesn't make much sense to me. Even if you ask for the for the judge to review the minutes in camera, which basically, you know, just means the judge is going to look at it. The the lawyer, the defense team is is not even asking to look at the minutes. They're asking the judge to actually review the minutes when they ask for a motion to review the grand jury minutes in camera, they're just asking the judge, they're saying, hey, judge, do us a favor, look at the minutes. We're putting in a motion that is in opposition to what the uh, charges are saying or what we could gather was said at the grand jury and the accusations. We want you to look at the minutes and review it, and you tell us if it ties in. And the judge won't even do that a lot of the time. And when you when you look at that, how does that make any sense? Why wouldn't any judge want to pull those minutes themselves? If something's not making sense and the, and the defense team is putting in motion after motion showing that all of the representations made 
at pretrial hearings, uh, what they're claiming is in the discovery, what they're claiming the charges are. If the defense team is putting in motion after motion that is telling the judge, hey, judge, what they're saying is not lining up to what's in the discovery. So obviously something was wrong at the grand jury level because it's not matching up. Would you please look at the, you know, I'm putting it in layman's terms, but just, you know, because I like to uh, just lay it out that way. I'm a common sense person. I like to just lay it out that way. So obviously an attorney will word it properly. They'll put in the motion properly. That's on the level of the judge. And But we're just talking here. I'm just talking to you guys. And the way I see it is why not just say, why doesn't the judge just say to themselves, okay, I got all these motions. The defense is telling me the discovery does not match up to the accusations being made at these pretrial hearings. What harm is it for me just to look at the minutes? Why don't I just look at the minutes? I, don't, I won't turn them over to anybody. Let me look at them myself first. Let me compare them. And let me see if there's any water uh, being held in what the uh, defense is claiming. And if there's not, no harm, no foul. I looked at the minutes. Nobody else did. And I'm going to come back and say, no, the, the indictment is uh, warranted. What was said at the grand jury does line up and, you know, point that out. And if it doesn't, well, then, you know, there's something there. Then you got to question that whole indictment in the first place. But I just don't see any harm in that. And I don't understand why it's so hard to get that motion approved. You know, so many defense attorneys that I speak to always tell me time and again, it's very hard to get the minutes to a grand jury indictment on a federal level. And they're not lying. You know, it, it is very hard. I just, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. When you have a fair judge, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You would think a fair judge would want to see that and make sure that the indictment that they're presiding over is a valid one and, and one that was obtained using actual evidence and factual statements, you know, not... Not uh, not hearsay and not storytelling and not tall tales and not lying by uh, supposed informants. But that's not how it plays out. You know, that's just not how it plays out. Uh, just jumping back uh, real quick to the 10 hours. Uh, I made that point that I told you where um, if it's over 10 hours, if the electronic recording exceeds 10 hours, they have a, a longer time frame to turn it over. I just want to read that footnote on that to to clarify that. It says, when the electronic recording exceeds 10 hours, the prosecution may disclose only the recording that the prosecution intends to use at trial or at a pretrial hearing. However, the prosecution must still provide a list of the source and quantity of the excluded portion of recordings and their general subject matter if known. So even that, they still have to lay it out. And that's only for recordings that are over 10 hours. So, I, you know, I only see positives with this bill. Is it perfect? Nothing's perfect. But as far as you're in a 10 times better situation, it's better for the defendants. It's better for the public. It's just better all around. You know, you want that, that threshold, it needs to be high. I mean, I know, you know, I, I beat this horse sometimes where people are guilty until proven innocent and that's just a fact and something like this helps level that out and helps put it back in perspective that you are innocent until proven guilty you know the bar should be high when you're trying to 
indict somebody or you're charging somebody with a crime. You, you have to make sure it's a legitimate indictment. You know, and all these tools, all they're doing is just shifting a little bit of balance. That's all they're doing. They're just bringing those scales a little bit closer to where they're balanced. Because right now they're not balanced at all. I don't need to tell you that. Anybody with common sense knows that. Everybody who sees what's going on even currently in the world, currently in this country, there's a lot of crazy things going on where it relates to justice. You know, there's there's a lot of things. And I'm just looking at it more you know, on, on a very simplified level, without getting into all the details, without getting into the politics of it all, without getting into all of that and the mess of it all, just on a very simplified level, the system's broken in a lot of ways, whether it's bias, whether it's prejudice, whether it's getting a target, whether it's, you know, enlisting people to lie that you want to say are informants, but they're really just liars. There's so many ways in which the system is fractured. So any kind of reform, any kind of bill, anything that's passed that starts to shift things into the direction of a person obtaining a fair trial, you have to be happy about that, you know, and you have to support that. And, you know, I'm going to look really deeply into the uh, federal uh, reform bill as it relates to discovery, as it relates, I'm hoping there's something in there with the grand jury minutes, that would be phenomenal. And, you know, any kind of support I could give on that level, I'm going to do, you know, but I'm definitely going to look into that because that's, that's the most important one that needs to be changed. The federal level needs to be changed. And I think you'll see a lot less of these frivolous indictments because right now, when you have all of these things working on your side, they don't have much to lose to indict somebody. They, they don't have these guidelines to stick to. They don't have to worry about this discovery and getting it to the person right away. They have all the time in the world. You know, the last case I was on, my father's case was, I don't know, I think it was around three years, uh, almost three years till we went to trial. And we were getting discovery weeks before trial began. So just think about that, how crazy that is. And that's just one example. There's, there's endless examples of that. So if somebody's waiting to go to trial and you're trying to build your defense and you don't even have the evidence after three years and you get it just a few weeks before trial, that, that, that really puts somebody at a disadvantage. That puts the whole defense team at a disadvantage. Prep time, going through everything, going through all the documents, trying to find items that can help you, items that can prove your case. The average person doesn't realize how labor-intensive that is and doesn't understand. I'm sure a lot of people will be shocked to even understand that this is how it works and how there had to be a reform just to try to set this right. But it's definitely a phenomenal step step in the right direction. I'm glad it passed. I'm glad this is now the new norm where it relates to Discovery in New York and the uh, 45 other states. And again, just for your own knowledge, I would recommend looking it up. I'll probably put a link to it in the uh, description so you can just click on it. But it's important just to know these things. It's important for the average person to be aware of these things because I believe they'll see this and they'll say to themselves, well, why did th- why did there need to be a discovery reform in the first place? What was it like prior? And then when they start analyzing what it was like prior, they'll understand that you know all those cases in the past they were flawed in a lot of ways, and, and, and people were stripped 
of the right to a fair trial in a lot of ways. They're already starting out behind the eight ball. You know, they're already starting out climbing up a hill just to just to defend themselves. And they'll start to understand the whole concept of guilty till proven innocent, you know, and, the, and they'll, they'll comprehend how when all of these legal tools are used against you, you're up against a, a tremendous disadvantage. And, and, and hopefully that in turn will force the public and a member who possibly becomes a juror to realize these things and weigh that when they are serving on the jury. And to understand what a defendant has to go through and to make sure that the high bar of proving somebody's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt is met. You know, all these things could possibly just help enhance that and to allow an individual to acknowledge the severe responsibility they have in front of them when they are serving on a jury. And to understand to take it seriously. And it's not a matter of thinking somebody's guilty. And it's not even a matter of thinking somebody's innocent. It's a matter of making sure the other side proved their case beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's it. You could think somebody's guilty. But if the case wasn't proven beyond a reasonable doubt. By the law you cannot convict them. And that's the law. That's just the way it works. Whether you agree with it or not. That's different. But if you don't abide by it you're not doing your job. And you're, you're affecting the broken system. You're just another person hindering the broken system. So you can't complain about it. You know, in one breath you can't complain it's broken. And complain you want reform if you're not going to do your job and make sure it's followed the right way. So I, I just wanted to discuss that. Uh, I thought it was an important topic. And a lot of people weren't even aware of it. You know, I was having conversations with um, uh, friends of mine and even... Uh, some of my, my employees, uh, and, and you know, they, they weren't aware of it at all. They were just aware of the uh, the past statute and how it worked against the defendants. So it's just important that people are aware that there are changes happening. And hopefully this sparks, you know, some changes on the federal level because that's where it's really needed as well. Uh, the state level is very important, obviously. Uh, you know, people going through it, they, they need this. They need these rights. They need this protection. They need the right to know what evidence is against, the, is against them as soon as possible, especially if they're going to start uh, uh, plea negotiations. It's only right to begin a plea negotiation after you know what you're faced with. So I'm hoping maybe, you know, in, in the near future, I'll be having this discussion. I'll be reading the updated statute for the discovery requirements on the federal level. One item I just want to briefly touch on, because I've spoken about, you know, uh, this topic in detail and the whole topic of informants and informants being on podcasts now and all that. And I'll still stick to my, my thoughts on that, that they're really not informants. They're just liars because they're telling tall tales. They're not, they're not being honest. They're not being truthful. And regardless of one's opinion on an informant, and I try to keep that, you know, I try to state that a certain way because you have people on different sides of the fence of that, you know, and I just want to appeal to everybody. I don't want people to think like me. I have my own feelings on when somebody uh, isn't accountable for themselves and they look to blame other people. They look to make excuses of why they became an informant, you know. That, that's for my own personal belief. 
So I'm not pushing that on anybody. I'm not trying to have anybody think the way I think regarding that. But what I do believe the public should weigh, they're entitled to the truth. And if somebody gets up there and they're just lying, you have to take that at what it is. You're dealing with the liar. And it comes out so much so when they're on these podcasts because you hear them actually admitting to the things they've done while they were working with the government, continuing to break the law, continuing, you know, to, to break their agreement, just doing all these things that are not trustworthy where you could show they didn't turn over a new leaf. And that's the other crock, you know, <laughs> and just to end it after that, but I have to, I have to explain that again. The other crock is where they, you know, talk about they wanted to, you know, turn over a new leaf and change their ways. That's not the case. If somebody legitimately, in their mind, they think they want to change their ways and to do so, they have to throw other people under the bus and not be accountable for any crimes they committed, but hopefully get a nice lenient sentence by, you know, telling on other people. If they want to tell that tall tale... How come it always takes them getting in trouble to turn over that new leaf? Why wouldn't they just walked into an office one day, walked into law enforcement and say, listen, I found Jesus, I found the Lord Savior, and I want to do the right thing now because I want to turn over a new leaf. If you ever notice, it never takes place that way. It's always, you know, they're faced with big time and then miraculously these changes come. So that should tell the average person it has nothing to do with change. It has to do with accountability. They don't want to be accountable. When times were good, everything was good. You know, everybody could act uh, the way they wanted to act. But when times got tough and it was time to pay for whatever crimes you may or may not have committed, you know, you don't want to pay. You want to point fingers. So to me, it's just a ploy. It's an excuse. You know, you, you it's just... It's all it is. It's one big excuse. And to paint it any other way is actually an insult to anybody's intelligence. Anybody who has the smarts would realize if this person really wanted to turn over a new leaf, why would it take them getting jammed up and facing time to do that? Why didn't they just one day say, hey, I want to change my ways? But it never turns out that way. It's always when they're faced with having to, to face whatever charges they're up against, or if, you know, they got caught doing something, then they miraculously want to change their ways and start pointing fingers at people and start making up stories. And, you know, people are going to listen to them, but when you're listening, you should really pay attention and hear what they're saying, because that'll, that'll help jurors. Jurors will hear the bragging, they'll, they'll hear the stories, you know, and they'll try to infuse, uh, it reminds me like when we were kids, you know, the, the more you know, and the star would come across the screen and, and the music would play like the more you know. They try to infuse that in there, the more you know, and they're trying to give like some kind of pep talk or some kind of really deep philosophy of of how they're trying to help people. That's all nonsense. Anybody with brains will see right through that. It's all nonsense. The internet created a platform to boast, to brag, and to lie. You could basically lie about who you are. You could just make up stories because nobody's going to be able to go against those stories. You know, there's there's no way of rebutting them. Nobody's going to take the time to really pull court records and see that the stories being told don't line up to, you know, what actually took place. Nobody's really going to do that. 
people are just listening. I guess they find it entertaining for whatever, but you got to take it at face value. And you have to realize if nothing else, just understand you're hearing from people who don't want to be accountable, people who didn't want to do any time for all these crimes that they committed. So in turn, they made deals to throw others under the bus that at one point in time, I guess they considered them friends or they wanted to hang out with them or whatever they wanted. For one point in time, they had a relationship with individuals and now in order to save themselves, they decide to give others up. And whether you believe in that or not, that's irrelevant. But at the very least, you should believe that the, that the people in question, the individuals in question, should be telling the truth. And when they're not, just take it at that. You're dealing with liars and their words should mean absolutely nothing. And unfortunately, you know, this is uh, just how it goes. You know, you're going to have these podcasts, you're going to have these bragging sessions, you're going to have these boasting sessions. But I personally believe the intelligent public will understand it's nothing but a bunch of BS. They'll see through it. And I think it's going to help on a lot of levels. I think it's going to help defense teams to show what takes place, you know, when these informants do get on the stand and say they have nothing to gain Uh, They want to tell the truth. They have no agenda. They have no motive. All of these shows, all of these uh, things taking place with uh, merchandise being sold and and whatever else uh, going on to generate revenue, you got a lot of motive there. And defense teams should take notice to these things and they should make notes and they should get a lot of these things transcribed and have that all on file. Because when when you're on a case and you could start showing opposition to these claims that they have nothing to gain, you could actually show they have a lot to gain. You know, internet fame is important to some people. You know, for some people it means something. So, you know, you start implementing that into your defense strategy, you may open a lot of jurors' eyes. And I actually went on longer than I wanted to on that topic, but because like I said, I already talked about it many times. You could play my past episodes about that. So I I think that's it for today. I think we covered um, an interesting topic. Anyway, I I found it interesting. I think it's important for the listeners to be aware of it. And I'll I'll have the link to the reform in my uh, description. So you can click on that if you want to just read a little bit more in detail about it. Uh, And that's what we're here for. Just to open up some eyes to things. Have a discussion on it. Dissect certain topics. And hopefully educate jurors, you know, so they're a little more prepared when they are faced with that responsibility. Until next time.